I'll be marching along in the big parade on St. Patrick's Day. I'll be up to me neck in shamrocks as I march along the way. I'll swing that old... Hi, this is Beth Moon. Welcome to the Holiday Moons podcast, where we share our love for the holidays with you year-round. This is Sydney, and I will be continuing the last part of my series, Thrift Store Part 2. This is Randy, and I will be talking about ice cubes. Not Ice Cube the rapper slash actor, but Ice Cubes. Oh, well now I'm disappointed. (laughs) This is Cole, and I'm going to be talking about some St. Paddy's Day foods, which you can hopefully enjoy inside during quarantine. Yum. We hope you are enjoying the last little gasp of winter, as we are now in March uh, when this comes out. And we still have some hope for a little bit more. Yep. Yeah, we've gotten Easter snowstorms before, mm-hmm. even early April. So we'll have to wait and see about that. Uh, we've had a lot of snow and ice when we were recording this this past week. Again. Yeah, so we had, let's see, we had a mon- last Monday off for us because it was a federal holiday, That's President's right. Day. It's also the day Cole and Keely got back from their Valentine's Day adventure. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to be snowy all week a number of times. It ended up being sleety um the one day it was a lot of sleet on the on the driveway yeah i think that was thursday that was interesting to see that much sleet yeah there was some snow but then it just it was just sleet for a really long time yeah that was interesting i was glad i had a plow to push it out of the way i was glad none of you had to drive into work yeah Yeah. that's true that was nice yes since we were able to take that the government actually closed that day so we were able to take that day off and co-works remotely and Right. Yeah. Yep. So I didn't get any day off. No, not true. <laughs> and last week I was talking about Beth's Valentine's flowers not coming because of the ice storm. That's right. On Friday and Saturday. And it ended up that the flowers came on Sunday. So it, they were before beautiful. the next round of snow ice came, they fitted in there and they came yep. on Sunday. So that was and they nice. were gorgeous. Yes. Actually on Valentine's Day. And then we got to see Cole and Keely on their way back from their Valentine's mm-hmm. Day. Adventure. So that was kind of nice to be able to catch up with you on Monday. Yeah, and the Valentine's Day excursion was a lot of fun. We ended up going to a place. It was a little before you enter Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. We kind of took a left into a long road of cabins, which have all these weird designs. Like one cabin was perfectly circular. Oh, with weird. windows all around. Interesting. So it looks like almost like experimental, like kind of. They, <laughs> they're cabins, but kind of wacky like roof designs where it's like one slanted beam is the entire roof. and Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like if you watch any Norwegian show involving murder. Oh, interesting. And they're, they're like these fancy houses, but still cabins. Yeah, because yours was an A-frame. Ours was one of the more normal ones. There was one that was like built like an H. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's interesting. Without like having a gap under the like middle part. Okay. But like two large sections and then like a smaller section. Oh, okay. I was um, gonna say maybe they were spelling things out. Yours was an A frame. That was an H. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was the H frame, then the A frame, and then just a bunch of Y frames. <laughs> hey. 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 <laughs> No, but it was great. We ended up taking a walk to look at all the different wacky house designs because there was stuff there that was like these sand-colored little houses that looked like they belonged in California. And wow. Yeah. It was That's weird. That's interesting. But fun. 
so we spent the weekend together. We ended up watching a lot of movies. We just brought a ton of movies because they told us that the internet connection was going to be really bad. Internet connection was great, actually. Oh, that's but, nice. Yeah, yeah. But it's so, nice to, to kind of take Yeah, a we ended up cooking together. It. We had a lot of gifts to each other and then um, some gifts from you guys, too. Which for we, Valentine's for Day. For Valentine's Day, which we really appreciated. Yeah. Um, Keely had never done gifts for Valentine's Day before. Uh, had never given her, gotten anything. Um, so that was really fun to be able to share that with her. Right, yeah. Got her a bunch of different little things and a couple things that were, well, I guess most of the stuff was kind of, you know, budgeted around $100 for everything. So yeah. one of her favorite animals is a jellyfish. So I got her little jellyfish earrings and <laughs> <That's> <laughs> stuff funny. like that. So yeah. little, yeah, yeah, nothing like too significant, but little things to like, let you know that you know them as a as a person. And, right, yeah. You're paying right. attention kind of thing. Yeah. There's, yeah those kind of gifts are always appreciated. The, uh, we had boxes of chocolate for each other, which was great. Right. And we, we enjoyed yum. greatly. Yeah. Um, neither of us are huge fans of caramel. So That's some of, crazy. So some of the chocolates went uneaten. Are you going to say you can bring them here and you can eat them? No, because I that, don't want to eat had, them, but I would look, like them. You had that look in your eye <laughs> I would for a like second. To, I would like to eat them, but I don't want to eat them. But if they were here, I would, so it's good <laughs> that they're not here. So it was, it was a great time. Uh, we ended up watching a few different cute movies, some movies that confused us. There was a very long Bollywood movie, which was confusing and kind of depressing. <laughs> That's unfortunate. It made us a little sad. She let me, I'm a huge horror fan, so she let me watch a horror movie with her. Oh, which one? She said... Cabin in the Woods? <laughs> no, not, not Cabin in the Woods. Cabin in the Woods. Actually, pretty lighthearted as far as yeah, movies yeah. go. Um, that's, that's clever. I didn't think of that. That would have been funny. <laughs> no, we watched Hellraiser together. Oh. Which she said may have given her nightmares. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. She's so. yeah, yeah. That's really it's really nice that she'll watch it's not like with you. Scary, no. but it's a body horror, so yeah. there's visuals and stuff. But she let me do that with her, so yeah, that was I appreciated nice. that. Yeah, because um, I don't get to do that much. Although last night I watched a ton of horror movies with my roommate, so I got. Well, my there fix you there. go. That's right. You can you can get that fix. <laughs> So it was else. a great time. As we were coming back, we went out to eat with you guys so we could right, yeah. you know, catch up and... That was really nice. Have that time. Yeah, it's just kind of... Kind of an impromptu brunch. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, kind of a very relaxed free meal on my part. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is always awesome. Yeah. yeah. I always enjoyed those when I was your age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you pointed out when I'm paying for my meal, I always get a burger. And yeah. when you're paying for my meal, I always get a steak. Yes, you do. Oh, yes, you and you do. usually make sure to and know I, which And I specify who are we, are we splitting the bill or... <laughs> You're pretty I paying obvious. For this or you paying for this? Yeah. Oh, you're I paying so. for this. No, I'm. I'm not. I'm not hiding it. I've said it. I've said it on the air now. Yeah. So it's it's a, official. Well, this past week was also Mardi Gras and the beginning of Lent with Ash Wednesday. It also is when all the Easter stuff is coming out in the stores. That's right. Uh, so we're about a month and a half from Easter, and it's pretty well full swing now. Easter stuff as well as spring kind of stuff, you know, coming into the stores as well. I will say that when we were at Target, they had their Valentine's stuff like 50% off. I'm like, seriously, Target? 
Bring that down to 90. <laughs> yeah. Like, get rid of your Valentine stuff. They'll get All your there. Easter stuff is out. They'll get there. It's usually it Michael's that takes a while. Yeah, Michael's I know, is Michael's does too. Lowest, yeah. Hobby Lobby's your place to go. Yeah. And when this comes out, we'll be coming up on St. Patrick's Day and on Daylight Savings Time and on Spring, actually. Crazy. It is crazy. Oh, not, I'm looking forward to Daylight Savings. <laughs> I missed it. <laughs> yeah. It is nice to have more time in the evenings. It's light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last time I had a topic. You which did. Was yep. A couple weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> about charities you could donate to because it's cold out. We're all indoors. And, you know, if you're bored, you might as well go through the closet and look at some things or at least consider different things that you want to donate to certain charities. So that got me thinking, okay, is there a difference between a thrift store and a nonprofit? And the more I looked into it, it really comes down to nonprofit versus um, not for profit versus for profit organizations. Are nonprofit and not for profit different? Yes. And I didn't really realize this, and I'm not going to get into too technical details because you guys can go ahead and look that up on your own. I know. I'm in HR, I came from payroll, so I found this to be very interesting. So here are some things that I'll give you the definitions of each, and then I'll kind of talk about details that I was interested in. And then I'll be describing information that I looked for, which I thought was important for picking out charities and things like that. Right, because it's not that any of these are good or bad. It's right. just knowing what you're getting into or what the organization is when you donate. Right. Right. right? Which right. is, you kind of want to know where's your money or where's your objects going to and how does that support the cause that you think you're supporting. Correct. Yes. Any charities that you donate to, you should definitely do some research before donating it. Let's first describe a nonprofit organization. What is it? Oh, let's. Or are we all participating? Um, you're participating by listening. Oh, <laughs> that's go. less fun. Yeah. Uh, a nonprofit organization is one that qualifies for tax exempt status by the IRS because its mission and purpose are to further a social cause and provide a public benefit. Nonprofit organizations include hospitals, universities, national charities, and foundations, as well as churches. As well as churches. To qualify as a nonprofit, your business must serve the public good in some way. Nonprofits do not distribute profit to anything other than furthering the advancement of the organization. Now, that includes what they're giving the money to, the charity, right? Because you can't run a business or a nonprofit organization without people. And people tend to think that nonprofits are only run by volunteers. That is not true. They have staff that they need to pay as well. But I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Um, so what is a not-for-profit organization? It is one that does not earn profit for its owners. All money earned for a not-for-profit through pursuing business activities or through donations goes right back into running the organization. However, not-for-profits are not required to operate for the benefit of the public good. A not-for-profit can simply serve the goals of its members. So you think about sports clubs. Purpose of the club is to exist for its members' enjoyment. These organizations must apply for tax-exempt status from the IRS, including exemptions from sales tax and property tax. Okay, I didn't know they could do that. Yeah, right? And then a for-profit. This is kind of goes without saying, but just for um, the the sake of my topic. 
a for-profit organization is one that operates with the goal of making money. Most businesses are for-profits that serve their customers by selling a product or service. That was good to know because I didn't realize there was a not-for-profit and that there was a difference between non-profit and not-for-profit. Right, yeah. And then that got me thinking, okay, well, what about thrift stores, right? Well, where thrift stores come into play, so just because there's the word thrift in the title does not mean that it is a non-profit organization or that it works for charity. Thrift store could be a for-profit organization. You just have to make sure what you're getting into, like what they post online. A nonprofit organization should have its financial and operating information public so that donors can see how their contributions are being used. An individual or business that makes a donation to a nonprofit is allowed to deduct their donation from their tax return. A nonprofit, likewise, pays no tax on any money received through fundraising. So I thought that was interesting. So then I'm like, okay, so thrift stores don't have to be uh, associated with nonprofit or charities, so where does the money come from then? For me, from a payroll background, there are different, I mean, laws and regulations that decide how much each employee is paid, but I remember even from talking to mom, where does that money come from then? Because for me, it's like, okay, if I donate like clothes or money, what are they doing with that donation, right? right? So for thrift stores, what they tend to do, a nonprofit thrift store for a charity, what they do is they resell the clothes for a lower price because they're secondhand clothes, and then they use that money to both run the organization as well as donate to a particular charity. Where they get the funds though, they can be given through individual donations or major gifts, um, bequests, corporate contributions, foundation grants, which I thought was pretty cool, government grants and contracts, interest from investments, loans and program-related investments, tax revenue, and membership dues and fees. And I thought about this too. It's like, okay, we also hear famous celebrities contributing to certain nonprofit charities as well. So there's also a marketing aspect that they definitely have to keep up with. Think of like Make-A-Wish Foundation and things like that. These are nonprofit organizations that we know very well, but they had to start from somewhere, right? That's just kind of what I found and then I was looking online and there are apparently like a number of nonprofit funding models, but like online, but essentially what it comes down to, it's a little harder to distinguish uh, the finances for a, of a nonprofit versus a for-profit. So you just have to be very careful with what you do with the nonprofit that it's legal and that it's following all the rules. And there are different like um, rumors and such that can be spread around for certain nonprofit organizations as well. I think um, we've previously talked about Goodwill. So it is a nonprofit organization. Apparently it's like locally run. So there isn't like a necessarily a top head person. I think the rumor was that the top head person was earning all kinds of money, which that could have been true, but it's locally run. So sometimes people have called on them saying that the prices are too high. Well, that's just locally what they decided to do. Apparently it has a board of volunteers that is responsible for the Goodwill. Mm. So, the local Goodwill. The local yeah. Goodwill, right. yeah. So that was interesting to kind of read up on. And um, it's definitely good to, if you hear about like a charity or something, like rumors or, or um, if you have a particular idea of what a nonprofit organization does, um, definitely look it up and 
make sure, you know, that you're doing the research, that you know what you're getting into. It doesn't have to be difficult, you know. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Because some of those rumors, I think, are old. Yeah. And people kind of still carry them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and with social media, they can recirculate. Right. They can just keep coming up, and it's false but, information that's been given. But Cindy's point is that it's very easy to research kind of what the nonprofit approaches. So I'm on the board of a nonprofit, and you know we're required to publicly say what percentage of our money that we receive from the government or private donors goes to overhead, right. which is paying for the people that work full-time or part-time on the nonprofit mm-hmm. versus how much goes to the community. And people that donate, um, I get a little frustrated because they tend to want to donate to ones that have zero overhead. Well, that means those people that are doing those things are volunteers at the highest level. And it's kind of a hit or miss on their skill set right. versus having somebody that you're paying who's taking a not what they would earn in the corporate world at all, like a much cheaper right. salary to do something good for the community. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd rather give to a, a uh, nonprofit that has people in place that know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And you can actually research that. And often, you know, we have a Salvation Army locally that has a thrift store that we donate a lot to. And you can talk to the people in charge anytime. They're very open about talking about how they do things. So mm-hmm. you can research online, but you can also just call and ask to talk to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important too that, like, like you were saying, that they have staff that is specifically dedicated to the organization right. and its mission, right? And so we want to keep those people there, be able to grow their skill set, right. and be in that community, and maybe even do like outreach in the community. It depends on what's done locally, and even like if you donate to a church, right? Like the the money spent or the money given to a church, like certain amount could be allocated for the staff. And then another amount could be allocated towards, like, the mission and every everything else. Right. It just depends on what you want to do. Like, I do know that some people, you know, when they donate, they want to say, okay, well, I want this to directly go from my hands to, like, somebody else who is in need. And in that case, you might want to definitely do your research. But also, I know some churches that do just clothes drives and stuff like that, where people, basically people come. They don't pay. They just come get whatever clothes that they need and and mm. leave with that. So, so there yeah, are different just, ways to do it. Yeah, and not none is bad or good. It's just, you know, it's something different. to consider. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's all great stuff. Sydney, good to uh, research that and look ahead. Uh, switching over to uh, my topic, which is a continuation of topics over the last couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, I talked about mm-hmm. black ice, which is mm-hmm. the dangerous, elusive... Bad ice. ice. Bad it ice. It is bad ice. Last week I talked about ice sculptures. Good ice. Which is fun artistic ice. There you go. Right? And how could you even make a living in being an ice sculpture? Mm-hmm. And the like, answer was, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Like if you gave up being a lawyer because yeah. well, we already went through that last warmed your week. heart. That's right. Oh. But surprisingly. I'm glad, I'm glad that you did, Jones. <laughs> surprisingly, the average salary for somebody doing that in their life is above average to the national salary. So, Oh, yeah, interesting. You Did you say what the salary actually is usually? It was around, I think it was around 55000 yeah. for the average salary. Okay, nice. Yeah. For, for ice, ice sculpting. Yeah, exactly. Well, I might have to, <laughs> <laughs> although I'm a warm weather person. So. Yeah, that wouldn't yeah. work for you. Well, it would work if you're doing it for corporations because you're doing it inside. It's usually for an event mm-hmm. inside, so it could be. But I'm you still it. have to do it in the cold. 
if Hallmark has taught me anything, I should not do it for a corporation. I should do it because <laughs> yes. it's the passion of my heart. That's, That's right. right. It's saving the local. It's saving the local. <laughs> whatever. Festival. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I like that. It's saving the local whatever. <laughs> whatever it happens to be. Whatever it happens to be. Like it's tree, always something. Library. The tree farm. The, yeah. the local. The oh, I like that. The local tree. <laughs> <laughs> it's an important tree. Right. But now, this week, I'm talking about a practical ice mm. that is the ice cube oh very we practical ice cubes. yeah and not ice cube the rapper or the actor yes we've established <laughs> ice cubes to go in your drink so ice cubes what do you think of them fan? i like big them fan. yeah big yep. fan yeah yep. especially those little like kind of circular ones with the hole in the middle oh you like those ones yeah i really like those interesting. ones they're so, not cubes interesting <laughs> interesting thing about ice cubes is if you've ever been to other parts of the world, us Americans oh, I know. are unique in our love for ice in drinks. Right. Like, I really like my drinks cold. Now, resorts and things like that have gotten used to Americans and their love of ice. But most other places, if you ask for ice, you might get a couple pieces and a kind of a look. Like, really? Right. You need ice. Otherwise, you're going to get a warm soda or a warm... Right. Yeah. Or tepid, I guess. Right. Tepid is probably... Yeah. Do you guys have any idea where our love, our unique love for ice came from? America. Where America's <laughs> unique love of ice came from. Not our individual unique love of, of ice. Oh, okay. Where America's love? Um, America. <laughs> America? That seems like huh. an easy answer. Well, I'm going to tell you. Oh, good. Yes. Prior to the 1800s, having ice in your drink was very unique to begin with. They did it in Britain a little bit. Okay. Um, but mostly for like the really affluent people would do ice. And it wasn't until the 1800s that it really moved beyond just the affluent. In the early 1800s, uh, there was one man who saw the potential in frozen ponds. And that was Frederick Tudor. He was the one who introduced the world to cold glasses of water on hot summer days in 1805, two wealthy brothers from Boston were at a family picnic, enjoying the rare luxuries of cold beverages and ice cream. They joked how their chilled refreshments would be an envy of all the colonists sweating in the West Indies. It was a passing remark, but it stuck with one of the brothers. His name was Frederick Tudor, and 30 years later, he would ship nearly 12,000 tons of ice halfway around the globe to become the Ice King. Wow. Interesting. So Frederick um, wasn't the typical entrepreneur. Um, he had the pedigree of family to attend Harvard, but he ended up dropping out of school at age 13. Then he loafed around for several years on the family country estate, hunting, fishing, kind of farming a little bit here and there, when his brother William quipped that they should go harvest ice from the estate pond and sell it to the West Indies. Frederick took the notion seriously. After all, he had little else to do. Frederick actually convinced his brother William to join him in a scheme to ship ice from New England to the Caribbean. During the next six months, they pulled their resources, laid out plans, and shipped their product to Martinique. And they hoped to create a monopoly on ice. And no one thought the idea would work. In fact, no ship in Boston would agree to transport the unusual cargo. So Frederick had to spend more of his own money to buy a ship to do it. And, of course, he was the butt of many jokes about shipping ice to the Caribbean. It did arrive in perfect condition, but the problem was no one wanted to buy it. 
the Islanders were not convinced of the importance of having ice available to you. That didn't go over so well. But he did not give up. He again shipped ice a couple years later because of war and all this other kind of stuff to parts of the world. But he was having problems getting people to accept the idea of needing ice right at their doorstep. What he did was he switched his tactic. And in 1819, he, while living in a South Carolina boarding house, he would make a habit of bringing a cooler of chilled beverages to the dinner table. His fellow boarders would scoff at the sight, but after a sip or two, they would fall in love with the ice in their drinks. So then he would travel, Tudor would travel around the country and convince barkeeps to offer chilled drinks at the same price as regular drinks to see which would become more popular. He also taught restaurants how to make ice cream, and he reached out to doctors and hospitals to convince them that ice was a perfect way to cool feverish patients. I previously thought that his problem was that he would ship it, but he wasn't really marketing. So this is him like really marketing. Exactly. Yeah. So the truth is people never knew they needed ice right. until Tudor made them try it. Once they did, they couldn't live without it. So by 1821, his business was strengthening and he had created real demand in Savannah, Charleston, New Orleans, and even Havana, Cuba. Uh, which are all in the... South. South, exactly. But he was still having problems with the manufacturing of the ice. So basically what they would do is they would wait for the ice in the north to cover the ponds, and then they would go over the ponds, and they would, if you ever watch Frozen, (laughs) they would cut them into squares Mm -hmm. and then pull them out and ship, you know, put them in sawdust, because sawdust they figured out was better than hay, and then they would ship them and store them until they could ship them south. Uh, but the problem was it was dangerous activity. People got hurt a lot. The ice slipped a lot. And they called it, oh, they call it Ice Man's Knees. Because basically the ice would constantly slide into the worker's knees, causing uh. bruises or even broken bones. So it wasn't until some new kind of processing of how they would get the ice out of the ponds, that part of the process was figured out and improved to make it easier for them to get the ice in order to, to ship the ice. But it was still kind of slow in getting going until somebody that you may know of got involved. Uh, have you ever heard of somebody named Henry David Thoreau? Yes. Yeah. His book was known as Walden, which was a reflection on simple living and natural surroundings. People often talk about On Walden Pond. Right. Walden was his book about Walden Pond, which isn't really, I think of a pond as like a small yeah. Set yeah. of ice, right? I was thinking, how did they do ice in Walden Pond? pond. But yeah. it's 64 acres. So it's a big pond. Yeah. That's huge. That's <laughs> yeah. like it's lake. Po- it's more, <laughs> yeah. That's not just so much pond. Right, is. right. I think it's the British use of pond. Okay. <laughs> more, well, more expansive. Don't they also say across the pond, meaning across the, the Atlantic, Atlantic Ocean? Ocean? Yeah, exactly. That's so, what I mean. okay, okay. The British use of pond. So he was a American naturalist, an essayist, a poet, and a philosopher. His simple, his reflections on simple living is what people generally in the United States know him for. But it was on his pond, Walden Pond, that was one of the locations that Tudor's men would harvest the ice, along with lots of other locations in America. But that was one of the places. And Henry David Thoreau was annoyed. In the winter of 1847... The workman had disturbed his tranquil peace 
by descending on Walton Pond with axes, saws to harvest giant blocks of ice. So you can imagine his whole thing was about peace on his pond. <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly they would come in to harvest the ice, and it was just this huge commercialization. Was it not his pond? No, not all. Not all of it was his pond. Oh, That's okay. hilarious. Yes. But he did marvel at these ice towers, and this was part of the the new manufacturing process where they could harvest this ice and just stack it up uh, really high. And he thought it was interesting to think about the fact that the pure water of Walden Pond is being mingled with the sacred water of the Ganges by shipping the ice to India, as an example. One of the places he shipped to was Calcutta along the way. Walden actually wrote about the whole process of harvesting ice and it being shipped around the world in a way that actually made it more apparent and popular to more people. Interesting. So between Tudor's kind of approach of, I'm going to give people a little, right. uh, and then they're going to like it, and then they're going to want more, right. and then uh, people like Thoreau writing about it, it became more and more popular in the United States along the way. But the interesting thing was that this desire that Tudor built up actually caused the downfall of the whole ice industry over time because people liked having the convenience of ice in their home. Ah. So what do inventors do? They look for a way to bring it and make it even easier for you. Mm -hmm. So over time, now refrigerators and freezers had been something being worked on for quite some time. But eventually when they became uh, more popular and common, in the early 1900s as a start, building ice cube trays where you can put water in it and freeze it yourself came possible. And, and Americans wanted that because that's what they become accustomed to with the ice being shipped all over the country. And if you watch old movies, you'll see, just like they used to deliver milk to your front door like every morning, yep. they have these trucks that would deliver big blocks of ice to you. Right. That's funny. You see... Like, there's the stereotypical milkman kind of That's appearance. Right. is usually kind of a like a slim guy in the white um, outfit. I imagine whoever was delivering the ice must have been ripped. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because he was, <laughs> yeah. was carrying these giant yeah. blocks. With these, like, skewer things. Yeah. yeah. Right? Each door. Yeah. Yes. And when they had those skewer kind of things, they actually had different types of ice for different types of drinks. So, like, for... Um, Do you mean the, uh, like, the metal, like, clamps? Yeah. The yeah. clamp thing. So when they would deliver the ice, then people could have like shaved ice for juleps, for mint juleps, or lumped ice for cocktails, crushed ice for the cobblers of the day. Uh, So, you know, they had like different types of ice. As that became something that was brought into the house, the ice cube tray was actually created. They think it was created in the medical world as a way to cool down like vaccines almost when they were doing that. But it was brought out and then became popular in the ice, what do they used to call it? The ice box. Yeah, the ice box, yeah. Uh, Where it would then cool your own ice and make that available to you along the way. So in 1914 was when one of the early electric refrigerators was created along the way. And then by 1933 was when the all-metal tray was invented that would create ice that would actually eject. Yeah, I, re- I remember those tray. trays. Yes, I do too. And yeah. it had like a little latch thing on it uh, that would kind of break it up so that you could get the ice out completely. Yeah, you kind of popped it up. Yeah, it popped it up. And then you could get it out. That's right. Yeah. And then the modern ice tray um, happened in the 
with the popularization of plastics, right? That's when the right. modern ice tray, where you twist right. and you get the same the popping, popping effect yeah. along yeah. the way. And I know I grew up, and Beth and I both grew up with ice cube trays that you had to take out, fill up with water, oh, yeah. slide into. There had to be, like, there was a spot in the freezer for yeah. them, mm-hmm. and you had to wait for them. And they were, there weren't um, self-defrosting freezers either, no, so they right. would accumulate ice around and they'd have to eventually unplug and thaw that out. Right. I mean, it's all kinds of stuff that That's interesting. A lot of ice cube trays now are made out of, like, silicones. Yes. And, yes. And yes. Like, yeah. can have little shapes and yeah, exactly. stuff. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. But I know those ones, because I've used those ones before. I've used the plastic ones and I've used those ones. Yeah. And the silicone is so much easier yes. to get the ice, because you can... Like, with the ice, with the plastic, you can kind of move it around. But yeah. with the silicone, you can really, like, just yeah. grab it and, like, kind of Bend pull it. all the way back. Yes. And yeah. all of the ice will pop out. Right, because yeah. the plastic one, sometimes you had to leave it out a little bit for it to get a little melty. For it to come out. Because sometimes yeah. it wouldn't come out right away. Well, and now we have the ice makers, right? right. So the only reason to use the... Silicone ones is if you want like special different shapes, right? Or if you or if you have a refrigerator that doesn't happen to have an right. ice maker, yeah. and there's still some out there definitely that don't have ice makers, mm-hmm. or they don't have the water hookup to to um, have the refrigerator with the ice maker in it. In the cabin that Keely and I spent the weekend at, they didn't have an ice maker, but they had like ten ice trays <laughs> that's in, that's the, in the freezer, so we filled yeah. all of those up. Yeah, so it became pushed into our culture. By somebody who was inventive. He saw a gap. He thought, I'm going to show the world of the United States. I'm going to show the United States that they need this. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to create the demand. Yeah. Now, the United States is much more muggy than parts of Europe. So, he went right to the south to do it, which was Perfect. super smart. Yep. But then it spread like wildfire. And that's why the United States as a whole, and Americans as a whole, have the history with ice cubes that the other parts of the world don't have. So when you go to other parts of the world and you ask for um, something, like a drink, if you want ice in it, you usually have to ask for it. I know when I went to Russia, I always had to ask with ice, and I usually got one piece, maybe two pieces Yeah, um, at most. It wasn't going to actually make your drink cold. It yeah. was just to satisfy you with you want ice, here a couple pieces of ice. <laughs> right, right. Although there are places that are used to Americans, and they do much better with ice. Even like fast food restaurants like McDonald's and things like that around the world, they'll have ice yeah. because they're used to that. Thinking certain tourist things yes, have definitely. ice for like Viking cruises. Right. Are so used to Americans being there that they acclimate and have what we are used, are accustomed to. And when I was in Russia, they didn't have like ice cubes in things, but they were good because I went... More recently, you went... Right, um, in the 90s. It? Yeah, in the 90s. But they were good about having, not ice, but a all pre-chilled drink. Yes. If oh, you that's wanted good. It. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if other places in Europe are similar now right. where they have a pre-chilled drink, but if you want one, usually they'll have that option available, especially with either water or a drink like a Coke or something yeah. like that. Yeah, something that they can stick cans in a... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I will also say with Americans, with Starbucks, with the difference between hot drinks and cold drinks, with cold drinks needing ice cubes, like cold coffee, it's become even more popular, in my yeah. mind, yep, for yeah. people to purchase cold drinks. Yeah. yeah. Starbucks has definitely mm-hmm. cashed in on that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but the rest of the world never really caught on to the ice cube fad. 
uh, which became go. a just a regular part of life. And you know, for most Americans, if you well, for Americans who've never really traveled abroad, you may not be aware that ice cubes aren't the norm across the world, but they are not. It's and funny. now we know why. I, yeah. I really like my drinks chilled. So I really like, mm-hmm. um, Sydney, I drink a lot of peach snapple. And I like my peach snapple cold. Mm-hmm. And I've even found certain tumblers, certain cups that have the twist tops. That's funny. That sounds very Georgia of you. Like, I like to have my peach iced tea. My peach with, tea. With in ice my cubes in it. Yeah. Uh, I've learned which one to use that keep my drink cold. Mm. The other day I used one that I don't normally use Mm -hmm. and my drink, even with ice, got started getting started warming up some after a little while. And I was like, Mmm, don't like this. So that was interesting. It's like (laughs) I need to go back and get my I think I know. I think of all of us, you especially need to have your drink cold. Yeah, I really, really like it cold. Yeah. Just like you like your hot things hot, you like your cold things cold. I do. Yeah. I like my extreme temperature. You are an extreme person. (laughs) That's right. I'm all in. Cold or hot. Yeah, and I think of all of us, Mom, you're the one who needs your drinks chilled the most. (laughs) I was just laughing. I was hoping you were going to say something beyond drinks because it's like peach snapple, not like alcoholic beverages. Right. (laughs) Peach snaps. Yep. Yeah. Uh, My roommate and I... Uh, we have a wall where we keep our various beer and stuff. And we usually, we actually don't chill our beer. We drink it at, like, room temperature, which a lot of people thinks, think is crazy. Is it gross? It's, but outside the United States, yeah. it's pretty normal. Yeah, that, that, so that is true. So most of the world, yeah. And he always gets these Guinnesses. He has an Irish background. So he came out the other day. In his new set of pajamas, I guess. And it was like white pajama pants covered in shamrocks. <laughs> and oh, like so a green cute. shirt with a giant Irish flag and more shamrocks <laughs> on it. So, so he's gearing up he's, for He is Saint all in for St. Patrick's Day. That's cute. And embracing his, his Irish heritage there. Now have you decorated? No, we haven't decorated. All right. Um, I, I think Ryan's all we need as far as decorating. Yeah. He's like a big a beacon <laughs> of Irishness. Right. Ryan just standing walking, in the middle of the room. <laughs> walking around. And he, he cooks a lot of, of Irish food. And it's Irish food, so it's it's good. It's not the most flavorful, but it is good. And it's probably hearty food. It is hearty food. It's very filling food. So I wanted to, to take a look, and maybe he's going to just coincidentally end up making some of the stuff. But oh, yeah. take a there look at some of the St. Paddy's Day foods that you can kind of have during, you know, enjoy during quarantine since we can't go out and drink like we want to. That's right. That's kind of classic St. Patrick's Day thing to do, yep. too. The As green we, beer. We all do. We all go out and <laughs> get wasted. 100% yep. of Americans <laughs> yep. and other countries. Mom especially. Right, right. With my peach snapple. With your peach, <laughs> your peach snapple. Snapple. That's right. <laughs> I ended up at thespruceeats.com and a article written by uh, Elaine Lim about some traditional St. Patrick's Day recipes. Uh, and she kind of goes through what you would say is like a full meal, yeah. like a single multi-course meal. That is classically Irish. Yeah, that is classically Irish. Irish. So she says to begin with a full Irish breakfast. St. Patrick's Day is usually a long day full of celebrations and drinking. 
So you want a good, a lot of food in yourself That's to a good absorb idea. all of that, that alcohol. So it's good to start with a hearty breakfast. So a real full Irish breakfast would include bacon, sausages, and eggs. Plus, not completely sure how to pronounce this, fudge? F-A-D-G-E. Not as fun as fudge. Fudge. <laughs> it's like yeah. a really pretentious way of saying fudge. <laughs> I'll have the fudge. <laughs> Peanut butter, please. But it's a Irish potato bread. Oh, okay. And you can also have a popular boxty, which is a Irish griddle cake. Oh. A few slices of soda bread or wheaten bread. And wash it all down with plenty of tea. Very traditional for the British Isles there. That's right. You could even do Irish breakfast tea. You could do Irish <laughs> breakfast tea. It's in the name. It is. And it's breakfast. You can also have it with mushrooms, beans. You can just really fill that up as much as you want to to have this. Yeah. Like when we went to Scotland and we learned that a lot of times breakfast was your big meal of the day. Right. Yeah. Just fill it up with as much as you uh as you, you can get there. in there, huh? Then on to the main courses. In the U.S., it's traditional to eat corned beef and cabbage, but there are a lot of other really great Irish dishes you can choose from, including Ireland's famous shepherd pie. Yeah, that's what I think of whenever I think Irish foods. Uh, she mentions Dublin Coddle. It's a layered dish consisting of bacon, pork sausages, and potatoes. Or you could do... Ireland's national dish, Irish stew, coming from a bowl of lamb, potatoes, onions, leeks, and carrots. And a lot of, we all know, Guinness. Guinness is the big thing on St. Patrick's Day. It's the big Irish beer. But a lot of cooking Irish food is also done with Guinness. So you can have a beef and Guinness pie, which combines mm -hmm. delicious Irish beef stew with the country's signature beer then baked under a flaky pastry crust. Mm -hmm. It's all very hearty. It is. For some side dishes and snacks, which you need after the course oh and hearty <laughs> breakfast, I'm sure, <laughs> you can keep it simple with mashed potatoes or add a bit of Irish flair with champ, which takes mashed potatoes to the next level with green onions, or the flavor volume with coal cannon, which combines leftover mashed potatoes with fresh kale and sautéed onions. So is potatoes both a side dish and a snack? It's a side dish, a snack, a breakfast. That's wow. Right. And, and you can combine it in with some of the main courses. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Another snack you can have is an Irish Guinness rarebit, which is a comforting and rich side combining the country's dark ale with cheddar cheese, mustard, egg yolk, and Worcestershire sauce. Hmm. The delicious mixture is spread onto thick pieces of bread and then broiled until bubbling. Oh, actually sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yum. Be interesting to taste that. Again, very Ryan filling. To make that one. I feel like I would have one of these dishes and be done. Yeah, for the because day. Because it would fill me up. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't seem to be the implication no. here. Yeah. No. Well, often what we found out in Scotland, could be true in Ireland too, that the, they'd have these big hearty starch-filled kind of meals because they're off working hard. The, the whole rest of the day. day. Yeah. Yes. Um, and they got home late for dinner. So Yeah. yeah. So, so there was often no lunch yeah. in there. Well, and for St. Patrick's Day, people are going to be drinking a lot. Yeah, so you yeah. need something to absorb. Need... So you need a, yep, yeah. needed a hearty meal. It says to cap off the meal with cakes and puddings. Oh. Wow. Two thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> or skip cakes everything and, and, and go just go for the cake. Barn Brack, an Irish fruitcake, which is one of Ireland's most famous bakery products. 
The name comes from break, which means speckled, referring to the fruit in the loaf. Bailey's Irish cream also has a way of sneaking into Irish cakes and pudding, such as in the frosting of Bailey's Irish cream cupcakes, turning an often kid-centric dessert into an adult treat, or an Irish bread and butter pudding, which is an ideal dish for using that leftover bread, but again, for adults only there. And last of all, no Irish meal will be complete. No Irish St. Paddy's Day meal would be complete with a pint of the black stuff, which is, of course, Guinness. Absolutely. Ireland also has a lot of other great alcohols. They have meads. They're really well known for their Irish whiskey, too. So yeah, you true. can mix I, and yeah. match whatever your stomach can handle with this hearty food and alcohol yep. and just go crazy with figuring out. Yep. There's an Irish coffee, too. Yeah, so I imagine you could you could yeah. exchange that for the tea maybe in the beginning or the Irish soda bread. We used to buy that at a local grocery store in the bakery section. Uh, it was really good. It's um, very good at absorbing alcohol. Okay, I don't think that's what we did it for. But <laughs> oh, okay. I don't think we maybe had that's kids not at what the you time. did it for. <laughs> <laughs> and we all we had an Irish restaurant that, near us that yes, we that it's it's no longer open, but. We loved it. We yeah. used to go a lot and mm-hmm. have Irish food there. It was really yeah. It's a great way to tasty. to fill up if you're if you're hungry. So yeah. maybe uh, go out can... and well, maybe don't go out, but stay in I and know. make yourself some food right. and have a few drinks. You have to let us know what Ryan ends up making for yes. yeah. St. Patrick's Day. Oh, I'm sure it'll be plenty of something. <laughs> yeah, keep right. us updated as to his outfits. That's fun. <laughs> that's right. If he uh, if he comes out with a with a green top hat. Right. <laughs> that would be great. Take a picture if he does. Our future festivities are for the week of March 8th. March 8th is National Peanut Cluster Day. Yum. March 9th is National Meatball Day. Also yum. March 10th is National Mario Day. And if you're wondering why it's March 10th, if you put Mar 10 together, it looks like Mario. Mario. Right after National Meatball Day. That's right. <laughs> That's right. March 11th is National Johnny Appleseed Day. March 12th is Girl Scouts Day. March 13th is Genealogy Day. March 14th is Daylight Savings Time. You can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at Holiday underscore Moons. We are on Instagram at Holiday Moons, all one word. And you can find us on Facebook by searching Holiday Moons in the search bar. We have a Facebook group and a Facebook page. And you can contact us at any time at holidaymoons at gmail.com. So for Beth, Sydney, Randy, and Cole, happy St. Patrick's Day! I'll be marching along in the big parade on St. Patrick's Day. I'll be up to me neck in shamrocks as I march along the way. I'll swing that old shillelagh as I wave to each colleen. I'll tilt me ear the better to hear the wearing of the green. Oh, the Kelly's from Killarney, the Murphy's from Kildare. The Hallahans and Callahans who came from County Clare. There'll be folks from dear old Dublin all the way to County Cork. They'll be marching in the big parade right here in old New York. Oh, the 
mayor will be in the big parade, strutting high and grand. And behind him will march a thousand cops who come from Ireland. Those beautiful songs of Erin, the band will play them all. We'll march along, we'll sing in the song, the harp will tear us all. Those sons and daughters of Erin, a hundred thousand strong, will be singing the songs of Ireland as they march along. Their eyes will shine with laughter, their hearts will all be gay When the Irish all turn out to celebrate St. Patrick's Day We'll be marching along in the big parade on St. Patrick's Day Not for all of the tea in Dublin would I ever stay away I'll trip the light fantastic and how proud I'm gonna feel The band will play Go Witch It Go Way, a good old Irish reel There'll be Cooney, Mulrooney, and Mickey O'Dowd Cutting up capers and pleasing the crowd Hogan and Grogan will kick up their heels Singing and dancing the jigs and the reels The Connells, O'Donnells, and Larry O'Toole Maloney, Mahoney, and Lefty O'Doole Nibble a man as happy as they on St. Patrick's Day I'll be marching along in the big parade Twinkle in me eye We'll be proud as a thousand peacocks With our heads up in the sky I'll be there, you can bet you When the band begins to play And the Irish all turn out to celebrate St. Patrick's Day <laughs>